0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening and welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you are with us. Would like to remind you that you can find the show at TonyPerkins.com, this and every episode. Also encourage you to download the Stand Firm app wherever you download your apps to find this show on demand on your phone as well as all other FRC Family Research Council resources sent directly to you and downloading the app is the uh, is the insurance against being deplatformed we never know when that might happen so stand firm app wherever you get your apps uh, today on the program do taxpayers agree with President Biden that his giant spending plan is going to actually reduce inflation? We'll talk to pollster Scott Rasmussen about some recent polling on that and a couple other subjects as well. In addition, the U.N. Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released its latest report, which UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres describes as nothing less than a code red for humanity. We're going to talk to Dr. Cal Beisner about this report and how scared we actually need to be. But the news of the day, the headlines, it is a big day if you like it when the government spends lots of money. Earlier today, the Senate passed by a 69 to 30 vote, the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill that is just the first part of a two-part plan that Democrats have in mind to force their wish list upon the American people. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said as much in telling his Democratic colleagues who want more out of the bipartisan bill that more is coming through the massive $3.5 trillion spending plan championed by Senator Bernie Sanders who are
1: concerned that this does not do enough on climate for families and making corporations and the rich pay their fair share we are moving on to a second track which will make generational transformation in these areas once this bill is complete the Senate will immediately turn to the second track in our two-track strategy passing a budget resolution that will unlock historic investments in American jobs, American families, and the fight against tr- for climate change. The two-track strategy is proceeding full steam ahead.
0: The two-track strategy is proceeding full steam ahead. I feel like the theme from Jaws should be playing in the background. Uh, With me now to talk about this and more is U.S. Representative Jason Smith, the ranking member on the House Budget He serves the 8th Congressional District of Missouri, which, by the way, is celebrating its bicentennial today. Happy 200th birthday, Missouri. And Congressman Smith, welcome back to the program.
1: It's great to be with you, sir. And and thank you for the birthday wishes to all the great people in the Show Me State. It's, uh, it's, it's, It's nice to have 200 years and to be the 24th state to the union.
0: Well, we are glad to have Missouri as the 24th state. And before we get into the really serious stuff, uh, as we celebrate the 200th, uh, what is the best thing about Missouri that most Americans wouldn't know?
1: The best thing about Missourians is the people. Um, We are the the show me state. And whenever, you know, we just shoot you straight. I mean, for over two centuries, Um, The Show Me State has been showing folks how to get things done. Um, To put it simply, you can't talk about American history without talking about Missouri. I mean, we've had numerous trailblazers like Harry Truman, Walt Disney, Rush Limbaugh, um, Mark Twain. And so, I mean, that's just a George Washington Carver, J.C. Penney. I mean, we got a whole laundry list that has contributed to to our country and so it's it's a it's a special place it's my home my family's called it home for seven generations and we're pretty excited and proud of 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 the 200 years
0: as you should be but now to uh some perhaps less good news today the the senate passed its 1.2 trillion dollar infrastructure bill which as we heard uh senator schumer referred to is just the beginning of the plans what was your response to the uh senate passing that bill today
1: I mean, Joseph, the bottom line on this bill, the math does not add up when it comes to spending and the offsets. They, You had numerous senators say that this bill was going to be paid for. It's just not the case. Um, nowhere near paid for. They claimed uh, almost a half a trillion dollars in new spending would be offset. But just last week, the Congressional Bu- Budget Office, uh, a nonpartisan analysis, it confirmed that it was less than two hundred billion dollars of this trillion dollar package was paid for and and now that the senate has has passed the bill, it's going from a bipartisan negotiation in the Senate to now a hostage negotiation in the House because Speaker Pelosi has said she will hold um hold it hostage until she and her progressive allies in the squad get the three and a half trillion dollar Um, more in spending package that funds a lot of their their socialist items and that's why you see the united states senate rushing towards the budget resolution right now as we speak
0: yeah and and to that point with respect to the three and a half trillion dollar package that is already uh, moving now in the senate uh, all 50 senate republicans have said they are going to oppose that package do you have any predictions for how that's going to go
1: you know, it, it, I'd say get some popcorn, Joseph, because you have such divisions within the Democrat Party right now, and they're going to have to have everyone to support it. I mean, this this three and a half trillion dollar plan is a complete is a complete disaster. I mean, you're seeing. Um, put it this way: with this proposal, I call it Bernie's budget because he's the the leader of the, the Senate Budget Committee. But with Bernie's budget and the spending that Democrats have done since they've taken control of the House, that is more combined spending in our country than all of taxes that have ever been collected from all Americans since our country was started. That tells you how extreme the spending is. You're talking about $68 trillion worth of spending. And the tax increases that's being proposed—the highest tax increases in the history of the United States—it's it, just—it's madness what they're trying to propose, along with amnesty. They're—they're wanting over a hundred billion dollars being spent for amnesty of about ten million illegals.
0: Well, you you do a good job describing just some of the, and I think that really is just scratching the surface of what they have in this three and a half trillion dollar package. And right now, the Senate is kind of being held at bay somewhat uh, by uh, Senator Manchin and uh, and his his unwillingness to undo the, uh, the the filibuster there. And he, do you think that this is going to with unanimous at this point Republican opposition do you think the senate democrats are going to be able to get this through
1: boy i sure hope not we are going to have to we are going to have to work tooth and nail to make sure we're communicating to the american people of what's in it when these senators hear from their constituents and that they're opposed to amnesty to illegal immigrants that they're opposed to eliminating right-to-work protections, that they're opposed to cutting tax for the wealthy and raising taxes on working-class working, working class families and job creators, that they are opposed to banishing low-cost traditional electricity. I mean, the the stuff that's in this, these senators cannot look their constituents in the eyes and say this is in their best interest, because it's not. This is only going to Um, drop a massive inflation bomb already on top of the huge inflation. I mean, inflation has increased 7% since Biden's taken office, and it's projected to be the highest since 1981. You put another $3.5 trillion worth of spending, you talk about gasoline on the fire, we're in trouble.
0: In, In the next segment, we're going to talk with Scott Scott Rasmussen, who's done some polling uh, recently uh, about how the public feels about spending and inflation, which should be concerning uh, for Biden. But you're mentioning the policy that's, in, that's embedded in this $3.5 trillion, which, for the most part, I think the American public is ignorant of because the debate really hasn't gotten started. So as that happens, it's going to be interesting to see what happens politically. You have a very closely divided Senate. Of course, you're looking at, uh, at midterm elections in 2022, which the Democrats should be nervous about anyway. Even without radical spending and in uh, social policy. So it is going to be very interesting to see in a very uh, narrowly divided Senate what happens. The, another component of this, um, the, the possibility that coming into September, they're going to be asking uh, Congress to again raise the debt ceiling. Do you think that's relevant? How do you think that's going to go?
1: Well, raising the debt ceiling is not even part of the reconciliation instructions within the budget resolution that was filed. They can go back and amend it, but it's not even part of it. The debt limit expired 10 days ago, 10 days ago. Of course, Secretary Yellen says using extraordinary measures with the leftover COVID money, they can continue to pay our our, our country's bills until about October 1st, but they have to address it. We capped out at $29 trillion. What's crazy is, is that they haven't even begun the negotiations or to even talk about a debt limit. And, you know, this is the first time in 11 years that we have no fiscal restraints, no, no budget caps. And, and they're wanting to blanketly um, increase a debt limit to give a, a blank check to just spend more money. Absolutely not. We have to put some kind of spending restraints in. That's why myself and the Republican members of the House Budget Committee called on Senate and House leadership to start start coming up with an idea to put spending caps in or restraints. I mean, our fiscal house is in disarray. If you want to talk about how bad we are financially, if you take away the zeros from the trillions and break it down to – to thousands that most of your listeners can relate to, where we are as a nation right now, we, we basically spend $68,000 a year. We spend $6.8 6. 8 break the zeros down, $68,000 000 a year. However, you only make $38,000 a year, and you have $290,000 maxed out in your credit card and you're asking for another $35,000 to be added on, there's no bank in America that would do that. But you take away the zeros from trillions, that's how we all would be operating in the fiscal status of this country.
0: Congressman Jason Smith from Missouri, uh, you you do a good job describing that. Uh, We have about a minute left, but I want to give you a chance very quickly to talk about the Love America Act that you have introduced. What motivated you to do that?
2: Well, no,
1: thank you very much. What motivated us to do this? America's foundational texts are the shining lights for every free and prosperous nation across the globe. But, but radical left-wing education activists, they're, they're hijacking school curriculums and injecting poisonous ideology into our nation's youth. And the Love America Act will empower the patriots who love this country and instill the same sense of pride in America that has been passed down through the generation. Um, specifically, the legislation would, would require students to read the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Pledge of Allegiance, and not claim that they're racist. They cannot say our country's racist. And, and that's, it's all about freedom and patriotism.
0: Congressman Jason Smith, really appreciate your time and all you're doing for us in Washington, D.C. Thanks for being with us today.
1: Great to be with you, Joseph. Have a great day.
0: And I do think it's appropriate that the, uh, Love America Act would be discussed at the same time we're talking about whether we can continue to spend money uh, like it grows on trees without any consequences. I think if you love America, perhaps we do need to show some constraint and think long-term. Is the American public thinking long-term? We know that President Biden thinks that all this spending is going to be good for inflation, but do the American people agree with that? We're gonna talk to Scott Rasmussen, a pollster who's asked that question right after the break.
3: When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply Scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that Scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for His kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to Him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God
4: is the author of life and has created man in his image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion your state stands on pro-life abortion check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps
5: most americans believe they have a biblical worldview but current research shows that only six percent actually have one This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions, Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you're with us. In the last segment, we talked about the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure package that the Senate passed earlier in the day. And now the Senate will be looking at the budget outline for a massive $3.5 trillion spending plan championed by Senator Bernie Sanders. And one of the concerns about this spending package is whether it will lead to inflation or not. President Biden addressed this concern yesterday, and here's what
6: he had to say. If we increase the availability of quality, affordable childcare, elder care, paid leave, more people will enter the workforce. These steps will enhance our productivity, raising wages without raising prices. That won't increase inflation. It will take the pressure off of inflation, give a boost to our workforce, which leads to lower prices in the years ahead. So if your primary concern right now is inflation, you should be even more enthusiastic about this plan.
0: Do voters agree that President Biden's spending plan is a way to reduce inflation? Joining with me now to talk about the findings of of his latest survey is Scott Rasmussen, founder of ScottRasmussen.com and editor-at-large for Ballotpedia. Scott, welcome back to the
6: program. It's great to be with you. And, you know, I don't know the real answer on inflation because I'm not an economist, but I do know that hardly any voters believe what President Biden is selling. Now, 59% say, absolutely, higher government spending will lead to inflation. About one out of four voters say they're not really sure. Only 14% say, nope, it's not going to create more inflation.
0: Now, has have these numbers changed in recent years?
6: Well, the numbers about inflation, you know, I haven't asked that question directly Uh, But broadly speaking, uh, all of the numbers about government spending went through a big change last year. You know, we had the pandemic and one year ago at this time, people were saying, no, don't stop spending. Only 14 percent of voters thought the federal government should stop the spending, stop adding more dollars today. That's not the case at all. Uh, Only 22% want to see the government spend more money, and 38% want it to spend less. This is is a sea change. Uh, We're starting to go back to what I would consider the more normal American skepticism of government spending. And by the way, it applies to taxes as well. 53% of voters say, you know what? Raising those taxes, that's going to hurt the economy too. So inflation, taxes, more spending— Uh, It's not exactly a great recipe to present to the American voters.
0: Now, you described this
6: sea change
0: that has happened in in the last year or so, uh, given everything we've been through with COVID. Uh, Do you think it's possible that 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 tide could change again and suddenly Americans would become comfortable with large spending plans?
6: You know, I don't think Americans will ever be fully comfortable with large spending plans, partly because they simply don't trust politicians. You know, they they say, hey, this sounds good. I like the objective of what you're going for. But then they hear about all the details of the spending and people get a little bit squeamish. Uh, most voters, when they hear about when they find a the new spending program they like, they tend to say, that's great. What are you going to cut to make room for it? So I don't think we have the visceral reaction that we did when Ronald Reagan came into office. Uh, Certainly, there is less resistance to government spending at this time than there was before the pandemic. Uh, But maybe the best comparison I could come up with, uh, you know, not many people remember it anymore. But World War II was an incredible event. And the American government did whatever it took to win that war. People supported it. And when the war was over, they wanted to kind of tighten the belt again and get the debt back under control. We may be going through something like that today. Last year, everybody's saying, hey, you got to spend money, got to deal with the crisis of the moment. But now as the crisis is starting to move behind us, let's get back to a more sensible and normal policy. Do you think these polling results will affect
0: how politicians view these spending packages? Are they going to be reluctant to do something that polling suggests the public doesn't want them to do?
7: Well,
6: politicians, uh, first off, tend to focus on people in their own district. Uh, So if you are in a heavily, heavily Democratic district, you're not going to be too worried about this. You know, Democrats, while they think uh, it may lead to more inflation, it's not that big a deal. And by the way, if your base is supporters who like Bernie Sanders, they actually tend to think that higher taxes and spending might be a good thing. Um, Overall, for a Republican-leaning district, though, this should cause uh, some level of concern. This is not something you would want brought up against you in a primary next year.
0: You also did some recent polling about the public's tolerance for uh, potentially new lockdowns as we see COVID numbers increase and uh, new restrictions by the government. What What is the the public's thought about more government intervention to pr- to reduce the spread of COVID?
6: 62% of voters say that in their area, it is not time to have more lockdowns. Only 31% want to see some kind of lockdowns reimposed. say no, we need to keep easing restrictions and 28% are saying, no, we're fine the way we are. So a lot of reluctance to uh, reimpose lockdowns and something else that's really curious, you know, in the last two months, confidence about the pandemic has crashed. Uh, You know, two months ago, 56% of voters said the worst was behind us, it's down to 29% today. But in terms of the way people are reacting personally, Not much has changed. Two months ago, 55% of voters said they'd be okay going into an indoor restaurant for a social event and doing so without a mask. Well, today, that number is 57%, not a huge change. And I suspect what this tells us is people are beginning to make their own judgments about things. They're not paying a whole lot of attention to what the CDC is saying or to what a lot of the government policymakers are talking about.
0: Scott Rasmussen, we really appreciate your time in bringing us these updates. It is interesting uh, how, the, the, again, we see the public diverging from the trend we seem to sense in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for being with us.
6: Thank you. Have a great day.
0: And we will continue to follow up on this story because uh, the polling and what we see with the public, especially on this COVID stuff, the the tolerance uh, for government intervention really does seem to be declining, even as the public thinks the worst might be ahead of us, not really excited about potential lockdowns. We will follow this in the days to come. Coming up though, we're gonna talk about Saturday's Antifa assault against Christians who are attending a prayer and worship event in downtown Portland, Oregon. The pastor who organized the event will be with us next. Don't go away.
8: Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world, and we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith,
3: family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with the like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch joseph back home sitting in for tony today and just before the break i told you that we were going to be talking to a canadian pastor who was attacked by antifa in portland but as happens we've had a uh, last minute change of schedule and he was not able to join us so we are going to cover another story that has been breaking news in the last 24 hours uh yesterday the pentagon released a new policy statement that the mill everyone in the military must be vaccinated by September 15th. This is what Pentagon Press Secretary John F. Kirby had to say when announcing the new policy. You can consider this memo today as what we would call in the military a warning order, a warning order to the force that this is coming and we want you to be ready for it as well. And obviously we prefer
1: that uh, that you get the vaccine now uh, and not wait for the mandate.
0: This policy requiring service members to be vaccinated is consistent with his other policy requiring federal employees to be vaccinated or else face a host of of challenges that make life just generally uh, uncomfortable in their workplace. But, Here to discuss this mandate with me now is uh, General Jerry Boykin, who is a former former general senior VP of at Family Research Council. General, thanks for coming again today on short notice. Good to see you. Good to be with you. What was your first reaction when you
7: heard about this policy uh, requiring service members to be vaccinated? Yeah, I was uh, I was surprised by it. I'm disappointed by it as well. And I think the leadership of the military is, uh, has really failed here in trying to implement a policy like this. And it's going to cost us. I mean, it's going to cost our military. Uh, you're going to see a retention problem as well as a recruiting problem here because of this. There are other ways to handle this. And I think that this is a bad decision. What are the other ways to handle this that you speak of? How do you, how would you advise them to deal with the COVID situation? Yeah, what I would do is recognize that close to 80% of the people in the military today already have uh, at least one shot. And uh, it's only a matter of time until that number increases even more of people who are voluntarily getting the, the shot. The second thing is I would ask them to go back and talk to the, you know, follow the science, talk to the doctors about this whole concept of herd immunity. I can think of no better place where you're going to wind up with herd immunity uh, than in the military and uh, the way those people work, uh, the way they live. uh, I can tell you that uh, I think this is a perfect place for them to build this kind of herd immunity. Uh, But the the last thing that I would say to you is, uh, Joseph, this This is, as far as I am concerned, a breach of trust with the American people. Uh, The sons and daughters of this nation uh, are in the military to serve, to serve because they believe in the freedoms that our founding fathers gave us in the Constitution and in our Bill of Rights. And now what you're saying is uh, that we are going to act more like a dictatorship and direct people to do something that may very well be uh, not only harmful to them, but uh, it, that violates uh, certain principles, some of which are religious principles in, uh, in getting this. Look, I'm, let me say this. I'm fully vaccinated. I have no issue with, the, with this. I have an issue with them forcing young men and women in this country to get this, uh, this vaccine. You've served in the military.
0: I haven't, and obviously, military life is different than civilian life. Um, theoretically, what would the consequence be for a member of the military who simply refused
7: to be vaccinated? There, are, there's an array of things. Uh, the you know, when on the worst case, you're talking about judicial punishment. That, that's a court martial. It could lead to uh, those individuals being discharged from the military, and they could be discharged with bad conduct discharges. Uh, or dishonorable discharges, uh, God forbid uh, the other thing is it can be uh, it can be nonjudicial punishment that r- results in a reprimand. Uh, it could be a formal or written reprimand, or it could be a a local reprimand uh, and in general harassment, to be very honest with you, uh, which is what I think uh, is going to happen here now. We're going to see our young men and women that are serving that have volunteered remember, this is an all-volunteer force, have volunteered to serve this country and to take an oath to the Constitution of the United States. You're going to see them being harassed for not having the vaccine. That is going to happen, I guarantee you. And, uh, and, And I hate to see that because what this administration has already done, if they really cared about readiness, they'd be focused on the right things, not the wrong things. And what they've already done is they've taken up uh, a lot of training time, a lot of time that these soldiers should be using to prepare for war. Our our mission is to fight and win the nation's wars. That's what our military is about. And they've taken up the time with trying to build a woke military, a military that is up-to-date on critical race theory, which is nothing but divisive. It is racist. I think you, you know very well... That this does not build unit cohesion and you need that to win on the battlefield.
0: It's a really good point. You do need cohesion and uh, it remains to be seen. This is such a new, uh, it's, it's a new order. Uh, how this affects military readiness and and morale and all of those things, the ability to recruit. There does seem to be the potential for a big wake. And and General Boykin, we appreciate you at least uh, bringing us up to speed on what this is. And I'm sure we'll be following up on this soon. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Judge. Stay with us, because we are going to transition to another emergency, or is it? The UN released their report uh, claiming a code red for humanity uh, because of climate change. Is it true? How afraid do you need to be? That's what we're going to discuss right after the break. Don't go anywhere.
3: What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom.
5: Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, To stand for truth and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org.
2: Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to Tonyperkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marshall Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony, glad that you are here on the heels of that conversation with General Boykin about the new mandate requiring members of the military to sign to become vaccinated. If you are a member of the military and you have concerns about that, there are religious exemptions. From vaccination requirements that still exist, they are poorly publicized and likely to remain poorly publicized, but you should know about them. And if you would like to get the details, the form that would allow you to apply for a religious exemption, go to TonyPerkins.com. And we will have that information posted there. Again, TonyPerkins.com. And you can find out how to get a religious exemption if you're a member of the military. So I encourage you to do that. Again, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Now, the next uh, discussion for the day yesterday, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released its latest report, which UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres described as nothing less than a code red for humanity. He said, quote, the alarm bells are deafening and the evidence is irrefutable. Are the claims of the report really as deafening and irrefutable as they claim to be? Joining me now to talk about this is Dr. Cal Beisner, founder and national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. Dr. Beisner, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you very much, Joseph. Great to be with you. Well, tell us,
9: how afraid should we be right now? Not at all. (laughs) Not at all of climate change, but I suppose we should be afraid of those who are making it the excuse for uh, robbing us of liberty and property and life itself, particularly robbing the poor around the world of the opportunity to rise and stay out of poverty.
0: Tell us more about that. What do you mean by robbing the poor of the opportunity to rise and stay out of poverty?
9: Well, all of, the, all of the so-called solutions to climate change, to catastrophic global warming driven by human activity, all of those solutions require uh, a rapid and forced transition from uh, fossil fuels, which now provide about 85% of all the energy used around the world, that would be coal, oil, and natural gas, to so-called renewables, primarily wind and solar, which now provide maybe about 2% of all the energy used around the world. The reason that's a problem, well, a number of different reasons, but the primary reason it's a problem for the poor around the world is that fossil fuels are, uh, are abundant and affordable and reliable, whereas wind and solar are not abundant, not affordable, and not reliable. And yet abundant, affordable, reliable energy is absolutely indispensable to lifting and keeping any whole society out of poverty. So to the extent that we are, uh, you know, led down the primrose path by the climate alarmists to cut our use of fossil fuels and replace them with wind and solar, we are going to slow, stop, or reverse the climb out of poverty for roughly, oh, three or four billion people around the world. And frankly, Poverty is a far greater risk to human health and life than anything related to climate. Uh, If you've got income equivalent to the bottom 5% of Americans, you can thrive in any climate from the Arctic Circle to the Sahara Desert to the Brazilian rainforest. If you're living on the equivalent of about $2 a day, you can't thrive in the best tropical paradise. Do you feel like this is a choice that we have
0: to make between lifting people out of poverty and saving our planet?
9: Absolutely not, because frankly, the planet is not in danger. Uh, and here's an interesting thing for you too, Joseph. Uh, the 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 really alarmist sound of all of this does not come from the scientific assessment report, the roughly, uh, what is it, roughly... Uh, 4,900 pages, I think it was, of the scientific report, or maybe it was 2,900, I've forgotten now which. Uh, The scientific part of this report is actually, most of it, reasonably good. I I have some, uh, some objections here and there, but most of it's pretty good. The problem is what's called the summary for policymakers, and that summary for policymakers is written primarily by bureaucrats appointed by political leaders around the world. And then after that, uh, changes are made to some parts of the scientific report to make it consistent with the summary. that's kind of the opposite of what you would expect. Normally you, you get the scientific report done and then you make the summary match it. But the summary is where the alarmist stuff occurs. And then journalists and elected officials take that summary, and they make things even more alarming than, than appears in there. So that's what you have with Guterres is saying that this is a code red for humanity, uh, that the, the signal is deafening, that the news is so horrible. Uh, that's all PR. That is not science. And that's not the dominant part of the scientific report. If the
0: conclusion does not match the actual scientific report contained uh, within the report, what's the benefit of referring to this as a code read for for humanity and uh, the alarmism kind of embedded in that kind of language? Who's winning from that?
9: Well, if you are part of the uh, movement around the world that favors global government, that hates capitalism, uh, free markets, free trade, limited government, the rule of law, uh, government by consent of the governed. If you're part of all of that, if you're into the rule of technocrats, well, then you know you like the idea that you scare people to death so that they're willing to give up their liberties in exchange for being promised that you're going to preserve their planet from catastrophe. Uh, that's, that's basically it. The actual scientific evidence in this report, insofar as there is a lot of scientific evidence, a great deal of it instead depends on computer models, and those are not evidence, those are hypotheses. But the actual scientific evidence says, yeah, human activity undoubtedly contributes some to global warming, uh, and yet that is uh, minor. It's largely benign. In fact, the advantages, the benefits probably significantly outweigh the the risks as as the warmer temperatures reduce cold-related deaths, which tend to be about 10 times as many as heat-related deaths. And they also expand growing areas around the world and result in more crop yields, more food for everything that eats plants, or eats something that does eat plants. Uh, So, you know, The the scientific evidence here is is really fairly solid that global warming is real, that humanity contributes, but that it is minor and that the benefits probably outweigh the risks, especially when you think in terms of the benefits of added CO2 in the atmosphere because plants need CO2 to do photosynthesis. Mm -hmm. Everything in the world depends on that. Every bit of life in the world depends on that. And so the more CO2 we put in the air, the better plants grow, and that makes more food available for everything that needs them. The report talks about this one and a half degrees Celsius
0: line above uh, pre-industrial levels. Uh, Is that really a thing in the scientific world? Is this one and a half degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, whatever that is, is that a magic number, a threshold that
9: if we cross over it, we're all doomed? No, definitely not. Now, it is sort of an arbitrarily chosen number of uh, the limit that the Paris Climate Agreement wants to keep us within, the limit that the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change wants to keep us within. But the reality is that global average temperature, that's what we're talking about in terms of the 1.5 degrees Celsius, a global average temperature is pretty much irrelevant to all life on Earth. The only temperature that's relevant to life on Earth is the local temperature wherever you are. And that local temperature can change by, oh, anywhere from 5, 10, 15 degrees to 20, 40, 50 degrees, just between nighttime low and daytime high. And between winter low and summer high, it can change by well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit here, uh, I'm talking. Uh, Which means that this this change of a degree and a half Celsius over a period of 200 years, uh, more than 200 years, is irrelevant to life on
7: Earth.
0: There's certainly a temptation to uh, historically view history in terms of the things that we remember. And in terms of the, the planet's temperature, is what we're experiencing right now
9: unprecedented? Certainly not. Um, Geologic history tells us that Earth's global average temperature, for (laughs) however important that may be or not be, Earth's global average temperature has risen and fallen repeatedly in cycles uh, of various different lengths Mm -hmm. and superimposing on each other, driven until the last 50 or 60 years or so almost 100% by natural causes, changes in in the Earth's position relative to the sun, changes in ocean currents, changes in energy output from the sun, and various other things. Uh, The the, uh, warming that we've had over the last roughly 200 years, since the end of the Little Ice Age, has been overwhelmingly beneficial to mankind and all the rest of life on Earth. Uh, We have had periods of equally rapid warming Uh, prior to the time that human emissions of CO2 became sufficient to have a significant impact on on global temperature. That is from 1910 to 1940. Uh, We had a rate of global warming that pretty much matched the rate of global warming from about 1975 to 2000, which is the period during which supposedly human emissions have been the dominant cause. And of course, there's reason to think that they have actually been a, a minor contributor a contributor rather than a dominant pause, uh, cause. Although, frankly, it doesn't much matter because the the amount of warming is is inconsequential. Certainly not enough to have any significant impact on any ecosystem or on any human well-being.
0: You started the Cornwall Alliance for Stewardship of Creation. So you want to be a steward of the creation. What is, do you think, the proper balance between stewardship of the creation uh, and also taking care of human interests and helping people come out of poverty? Are there changes that we should be making that you think would be reasonable and balanced and appropriate?
9: Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's not a matter, I think, of balancing off human needs versus the needs of the, the rest of the world around us. Uh, we're all in this together, so to speak, and what the Cornwall Alliance means by stewardship of creation is our fulfillment of the mandate in Genesis one twenty eight for mankind to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and everything that moves on the face of the earth. And this dominion should reflect God's own dominion. And what we see of that in the earlier part of Genesis 1 is that God brings uh, he, he brings uh, everything out of nothing. He brings light out of darkness. He brings order out of chaos. He brings life out of non-life. And he brings great variety of life and call, tells all the different life forms to be fruitful and multiply. So our dominion should be one of enhancing the fruitfulness and the beauty and the safety of the earth to the glory of God and the benefit of our neighbors, thus addressing really the two great commandments to love God and to love neighbor. We develop this understanding in lots of different articles on our website at cornwallalliance.org, that's cornwallalliance.org. And we have a bunch of uh, videos about it uh, on our YouTube channel, Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, as well as on our Facebook page, uh, the Cornwall Alliance. So I would invite your viewers to to come and get better acquainted and, and uh, help us to spread the word. I
0: would encourage uh, people, our viewers, to do that as well, and our listeners, j- just because this is a very different perspective we hear. And I want to go back to kind of this this code red for humanity that is really the headline of this report, it seems. And I'm going to play a clip. Actually, from 2009, ABC News had a one-hour special, a show called Earth 2100, uh, that they had their, pr- their predictions about the future. And in 2009, they were predicting what the world would be like in 2015. And this is what they had to say about it. In, in
6: 2015, we've still failed to address the climate problem. We're going to see more floods, more droughts, more wildfires. Flames cover hundreds of square miles. We expect more intense hurricanes. Well, how warm is it going to get? How much will sea level rise? We don't really know where
5: the end is.
9: Temperatures have hit dangerous levels. Agricultural production is dropping because temperatures
4: are rising. There's about one billion people who are malnourished. That number just continually grows. It's June 8, 2015. One carton of milk is $12.99. Gases reach over $9 a gallon.
9: <laughs> well, none of, that, none of that came true. <laughs> none of it came anywhere close to being true. And these kinds of predictions have been made over and over and over again by people in the environmentalist movement, and particularly in the in the climate alarmist movement, uh, they never do come true. Um, and, and there's a good reason for why they don't. They are based not on real-world observations, but on computer modeling. But the computer models can't come close to properly uh, depicting the way the climate system actually works. Uh, so, you know, this sort of scaremongering, it's great if you have an agenda to push for global government, uh, but it's not good science, it's certainly not good ethics to be playing on people's fears in order to get them to to embrace an agenda. Well, Dr.
0: Beisner, we are appreciative of your time. Um, I will cancel my plans to cash out my 401k because when I initially had read the headline, I was worried that we might all be done. And I appreciate your reassurances that we might have a couple well, more years still.
9: Yeah, you know, I used to live in South Florida, 15 feet above sea level. And, and I thought, hey, this is great. I'll have beachfront property in a little while. And instead, I calculated based on the UN IPCC predictions, it would take about 3,400 years for me to have beachfront property. Didn't, didn't Appreciate work. you
0: being with us, and we're glad that you're you're not going to be beachfront there uh, for a long, long time. God bless, and thank you for joining us today here on Washington Watch. I hope that is reassuring to you, whether it's debt limits or whether it's the planet ending. God is really in control, and we can take some comfort in that. Look forward to seeing you next time.